This is a public service announcement. Save your bees. Save your bees. Save your bees. It's too cold for your bees, Rich. Simon Sherlock says it's due to be the coldest night of the winter so far this year. And although it isn't that cold, I've put all my bee nesting tubes in the fridge to keep them warm. I normally reckon I'm only doing this when it's near to minus 10. But if they're stating minus 7, then I think we're close enough, especially with the fact it's been such a prolonged cold spell. So hurry out and collect your nesting tubes. They'll be fine in the fridge for a few days. Wow. So, so does he go any further? Does he elaborate on why a bee is prone to certain death if it freezes for such a long time? Probably for the same reasons that you are likely to experience certain death if I froze you to minus 10. There is, there is time that. Risk. And as you there haven't got that. your goat socks on, <laughs> it could be today. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> no, the thing is though, Rich, we're short of bees, aren't we? So wouldn't it be a pity if they all froze in the garden? So yeah. I got mine in, in my oak nesting department and said to farmer phil clear out the fridge i need to put them in and he looked in the fridge and do you know what he found there uh tenants extra <laughs> no any other guess alison bottle of port no what was it farmer phil well you ought to bear in mind that have had been in the fridge and in the fridge i found the ecover all surface cleanser <laughs> <laughs> Uh, being kept nicely cool and conditioned ready for action. Welcome to podcast one hundred and sixty. Five from the Wiggly Sofa. I'm Heather and I'm joined today by... Farmer Phil. Richard. Oh, Richard, you've gone all posh. <laughs> Anyone else and here? Alison. Hooray! And on this week's show, we've got Plant of the Week, Decade, Millennium. Yes, what is it? White Beam. Fantastic tree, a white beam. Is it? Mm. Well, we'll hear about that later. Also, Ricardo and... Farmer Phil, go and see new calf, new born, new year. That was lovely, wasn't it? It was, because it's a glorious day today. Really sharp frost, blue sky, sun in the cattle yards, fantastic. They mm. skipped off up the yard, hand in hand, <laughs> off to see the calf. <laughs> <laughs> Can I show you, <laughs> you my calf, Richard? Said Phil, quietly. Okay. Go on, okay, Richard has <laughs> got his Christmas pullover on and didn't he look smart? He did look smart. Um, we've also got the RSPB Big Garden Birdwatch details coming up. And we've saved your bees, so all is well in Wiggly World. Al, tell us about Plant of the Week. Yeah. White Beam. Plant of the Week is White Beam, Sorbus Aria. Um, we have one in the Wiggly Garden, which is quite a nice sample of a white beam tree. I don't know, how long has it been in your garden? Quite a nice sample, Al. <laughs> a nice sample. <laughs> quite a nice, quite a nice, it's a stunning tree. Is that one of yours? Did you grow that no. the one in the Wiggly Garden? Not no, that. we didn't buy off no. her then. No, that's far too old. 
So the one in the wiggly garden's too old, according to you, Al, for yeah. you to have propagated it. Well, we've, we supply them at about two or three-year-old. There's this one in front of us, Rich. Quite so a you, nice you one. guys go through all sorts of uh, lengths to get seeds to germinate, don't you? Yeah, we grow everything from seed, which is quite a lengthy process, especially supplying trees at two-year-old. Some are presumably easier to, to grow than others. Like some are. Seed. Some seeds need heat treatment and cold storage for a year. And what uh, about these longer. guys? Are they, uh, they um, that's to... not too bad. I mean, I know you're not going to give any of your secrets away. <laughs> I'm not trying to you know, get some secrets for you. So no, you, you can all have go a good, and, good go. go and yeah. But say, if, for instance, a fantastic specimen that's uh, in the Wiggly Garden that's probably older than Phil. How old is that? How old is the one in the garden? Well, since I planted it 15 years ago, I'm, I'm quite gratified that you think it's older than me. Mental age. Ah, mental, mental age. age. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> no, that was when that, uh, Colin Brown, who used to live next door, he got a nursery and he bred that one. Right. But uh, it, they're great because they've got such a distinct shape with a sort of nearly yeah. pointed top and a rather sort of pear drop shape, haven't they? Although yeah, it's like a bushy right. pear drop. Yeah, it was a beautiful uh. place. I remember... In, you remember in the summer when we had the open day and uh, the, the guys were demonstrating the, a beehive and whatnot mm. underneath it and all the kids were sat in the shade underneath these wonderfully... Well, they're kind of um, a triangular-shaped, wide silver leaf, aren't they? Beautiful. Their leaves are a little bit the same shape as the tree itself, aren't they? They've got a pointed yeah. end mm. and they're sort of like a fat pear drop. Mm. They're very white underneath, quite sort of almost powdery underneath and furry. And isn't it handy that the birds don't like the berries much? Yeah, you can actually eat the berries. Can you? Um, If you leave them until they're almost rotten, Mm -hmm. you you can eat them. But if you eat them before they go sort of rotten, um, they're quite poisonous and cause you to sit on the toilet for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> frugal fish have you tried this? No, no oddly. I, I know. No, I kind of, no, because I, I don't really like the idea of A, being poisoned or, or being eaten rotten fruit. So. No, Rich, did you enjoy my Christmas present, uh, birthday present? I did enjoy. I did enjoy your birthday present. <laughs> I did it. It was very kind. Actually, I thought it was very sweet. I thought it was very sweet. What was it? Uh, Heather, I, I walked in and uh, as I was sort of clearing my uh, my desk and and uh, I saw I saw this this nice little uh, bag on the top there and there was a nice card in there which which was one of those birthday cards you always want to get you know <laughs> so I had I had the card <laughs> and uh, inside the bag there was a book and guess what the book was called. Frugal. Thrift. <laughs> <laughs> thrift. It didn't say how to be thrifty or anything. It just says thrift. Which is good because I don't need a real guide on how to be thrifty. But it's great. So there's some fantastic reading in it. It's a cr- cracking little book, in fact. Corking. So, yes, thank you for that. So, getting back to this white bean, what about wildlife, Rich? Do they support anything? They do. Do you know what? There's practically... There isn't one single species of tree that doesn't support some form of, uh, of Lepidoptera larvae, you know? I mean, you say about your oak and silver birch, and it's true that those, those species of tree will support hundreds of different types of, of invert. Lepid- but it's what? the diversity, you know, Lepid- that we're talking about. You know, kind of moth or bot- butterfly larvae. Oh, right. And now, I know for a fact that you've just looked up on your, your funky little machine that you've got on your lap. <laughs> And, uh, and found out all sorts of uh, larvae that like to feast on the, uh, the thick leaves that the, the white beam sports. The short-cloaked moth. 
The small species wingspan 15 to 20 millimetres with grey or brown forewings with black basal areas which resemble a short cloak when the moth is at rest are supported by the white wing. There you are, you see. So yeah, it's all important. I mean, it's all about diversity, you know. And if you can plant beautiful indigenous species like white beam in the garden, far better that than some dodgy, invasive New Zealand or Southeast Asian uh, thing that doesn't look any better and will cost you three times as much. Guess what your cogs were made of on your wheels? White beam. Well done, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say oak. <laughs> Uh. And they are quite fast-growing trees. Some people put them in hedges when they're planting a new hedge or in garden, as we got here at Wiggly Wigglers. When do you plant? How do you look after it? And um, what are you expecting? Because, no offence, Al, but once again, you've bought a twig in, haven't you? It is a twig, Hef, but um, it hasn't got any leaves, obviously, because it's deciduous. So you can plant it all year round because that's container-grown. Would you use one of those... In your garden, right? I, I think white beams are probably one of our prettiest uh, indigenous trees. Yeah, they're, they're wonderful. Yes, I definitely recommend one in a garden. It's not something that gets too big either. That's the beauty of it. I mean, it's something that's not lost in this garden. You know, we're quite lucky that uh, the garden's of a reasonable size. But it's uh, it's it looks the part, doesn't it? You know, so you don't you don't have to worry about it getting massive and shading your neighbour's garden. You know, it's something that you can prune. You can get. I mean, obviously, if you do prune, then you have to to do it. Uh, year on year, but it's something that you can prune and respond relatively well to that. Well, they've never pruned ours, will we? No, but they don't, they don't, they're not like a, an oak tree or an ash tree, so it doesn't tend to have a main stem up the middle. It's more like an overgrown yeah, shrub, isn't it? Mm. It's got tree, lots and yeah. lots of branches which make this dense canopy, and it's not a massive height or width, it's quite a modest yeah. tree. Yeah, that's an mm. amazing ray of flowers in the summer as well. So it's got the flowers in the summer and then the berries in the winter. Do you think it'll flower more if you prune it harder? No, I wouldn't have thought so. No? No. Any practical use to it? Such as? Well, what can I use the wood for anything? Why would you want to cut down your ornamental tree? <laughs> <laughs> it's taken about 15 years to grow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I read on Wikipedia it's good for wood turning. So whittle, yeah, whittle. But whittle obviously you two don't know. <laughs> cut down and whittle away the nicest feature yeah. in Wiggly Garden. And there we go, we That's have a, a massive idea. gap in the garden. <laughs> it, does, it does provide a lot of shit. The birds seem to like it, I think because it's got so many perches in it, but you always see birds in them, won't you? And yeah, they do and like it's, them. A, it's a good shelter place for and birds the other thing as well. Is of course, we should be planting trees, and if we plant nice-looking trees in the garden, that's fine. Let's have some of those. They don't have to be all oak trees that we plant, and so that we'll fix our bit of carbon through a hornbeam or a white beam or whatever it is. Diversity is go. the key, isn't it, Phil? Absolutely. <laughs> Sustainability, <laughs> as well you. responsibility. As well you don't all know. those words that you apply to me every time you think of me, Mitch. Multicast. A weekly cast on Montiness. No, Montycast. <laughs> a weekly fact on wiggliness. It is a good idea to hang up a cabbage in your chicken run. The hens can peck at it to help prevent them getting bored. Another Montycast. A weekly fact on wiggliness. Next week. Over to Facebook, where June Saddington has come up with a brilliant idea. But just before we go to that, here's Richard Pike's comment. He says, Here's looking forward to a new wiggly year of excellent podcasts. 
Keep up the good work and let's have more Rachel and less Farmer Phil. Did you feel a little bit hurt when you first saw that, Phil? I did, yes, but then I thought, who is this Richard Pike? You're not made of stone, are you, Phil? I thought, hmm. <laughs> well, there's been a few responses. Here's one. Megan says, I like Farmer Phil's perspective and contributions, even though I garden mostly organic myself. And then, and then here's she Simon. She a balanced view. I've got to give her that. <laughs> and then here's Simon. Me too. Save Farmer Phil. Although I agree more, Rachel, as she sounds just as fit as she looks. Of course, ahem, she's very knowledgeable as well. So I thought we could have a vote in the room of saving <laughs> Farmer Phil or not. I quite like sitting next to Rachel because she touches my knee all the time. <laughs> so is that a no? So, you? you know, well, actually, <laughs> but on balance, you know, on balance, I, I would miss abusing Phil. And, if and you're expecting a, me to touch your knee, you've got another thing coming. Boy, it's like Holding arguments. hands, fair enough. Having our spats and making up is the best thing, isn't oh, it, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> OK, votes for saving Farmer Phil. Hands, please, up. Me. He's saved because he's got two hands up. So off they go, skipping up the yard, <laughs> hand in hand, Farmer Phil and yeah. Ricardo to the cow shed. Well, I've just walked around the corner of the cow shed. It seems like a long time since I've been around here and it's such a nice day. It's beautiful. You can see the white mist blown from the cow's nostrils. And... Phil, you lucky boy, <laughs> you've got your uh, first born of the year. Yeah, we've had three or four calves now the last couple of days, and this one was one born this morning. Right. Literally a few hours old now, and he's resting in the sun, and by the looks of it, we're going to have another one in the next hour or yeah, so. Yeah, there's all sorts of things going on here. They're, they're, they're all a bit confused and going around. Is it a boy or a little girl? It's a little girl, a calf, right. um, by adding the Charolais bull. Right. And... Uh, mother is a MRI, a Moore's Rhine Issel, okay. which to you is like, sort of like a shortish dairy cow. For right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, George, you're one of those short dairy cows. That's the one. Yeah, great. Um, and the, the, the cow that's moithering about there is a Hereford Friesian cross, and I would say there's she's... Couple, there's some interesting things going on here, because when I walked around, I could see the calf just kind of chilling out, steaming, because it's obviously still drying, and it's, uh, it's laying out on this lovely bed of straw in the bright sunshine. You know, it's obviously re recovering from its ordeal. And there are two cows moithering over it. One which I can see she's given birth because of her rear end, and another one which is kind of really nuzzling this yeah. uh, this this calf. So well, what, the other the one is about to calve, right. and so her maternal instincts are kicking in, and you can see that she's uncomfortable. There's stuff going on, but her maternal instincts that she's trying to lock onto that calf because yeah. she thinks any calf will do. So okay. in a minute, I'll part her out so that she actually can concentrate on the job in hand. OK. Um, natural see. events will actually probably overtake her because in a minute she'll lie down. She, yeah, she is trying to bed down. She's almost making this nest. Now I can see a whole bunch of mucus hanging out from, That's her, right. from her derriere. Is that, is that her water's broken? No, broken they haven't or? broken yet. That She'll produce... The, the first thing that happens a few days ago, there's a, a big sort of plug of mucus which is in the cervix, in the, in the entrance to the womb, right. that comes out first, and that's very thick and quite cloudy usually. And yeah. then when they start to carve, you'll get a clearer, thinner 
mucus, which is just essentially lubricant. That's that's what it's there for. Right, right. And the first thing you'll see is the water bag or the complete placenta with the fluid in it. Okay. And then that'll burst, and you'll be able to see the feet of the calf then. But that'll happen a little bit later on. But obviously she's experiencing the first contractions now. Um, and you, so you had to. You did. Did you have to uh, help with the birth of this calf? I did have to help with that one. I'm not quite sure why that. We got to the point of having two toes visible and then nothing much seemed to be happening, but it is quite a big calf. Yeah. And so rather than risk having a problem, I did help with that one. Right. Um, but the other three that we've had so far, they carved on their own perfectly happily. Do you know what you're going to get before... Because I know sheep farmers tend to scan their sheep before they have lambs to get, get an idea of how many lambs they can we expect test from each animal. We test them to... Find out whether they're in calf right. and to find out how far in calf they are. So, roughly right. speaking, we know when they're going to calve and we know if they're going to calve. Right. But we don't, the twins only happen about 1% of the time, so that we don't bother to scan okay. for those. So it's pretty rare in cows, then, um, right? So, it doesn't happen very often. It's more important to know that they're in calf. Uh, and, and you can do that with a normal manual pregnancy test. Yeah. This is actually quite interesting because I was just saying to you, we've, we've got, and this isn't by anything more than luck, we have what I call, she's like a helper cow, she acts as a nanny. Right. And she is brilliant to have with the young heifers who've never had calves okay. because she will lick the calf, clear the mucus away from its mouth, so if the mother doesn't actually know what to do and gets a bit confused in all the excitement... If she's there, she'll save the calf's life. Right. But she has no issues about ownership of the calf. So I, she's already licked that calf clean and half wow. dry. Wow. And now she's quite happy to see that it's all right with its mother, yeah. no problem. Yeah. And she's a very valuable beast in many ways because yeah. she will save lives. Very handy things to have. That's quite a contrast from the animal that you and I... Well, it's not, not dif difficulties, but she was kind of getting in on the act last year when mm. you had to help that cow calf, and she was she was really trying to eat the placenta and make the most of the opportunity. Oh, yeah, they will. They they do have quite a strong instinct to eat the placenta, and some of them aren't fussy whether it's their own placenta or not. But the real issue and and where problems can occur is if you get something in between the bonding process of mother and child right now although we've got a little bit of that going on here the bonding's already happened okay so that that cow can moither about but in a minute events will overtake it and she'll have her own calf right. and she'll forget about that then and, and it'll all be all right it's quite interesting watching these instinctive behaviour patterns yeah. actually acting out in, in front of you. Absolutely, because this animal now, the, 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 uh, the one that's just about to give birth, is trying to force the other one away, the real mother, away mm. from the calf. It all seems to work out all right in the end. It's very rare. I think on one or two occasions we have had cows that have managed to swap calves. Right. Just purely through this situation. Yeah. So yeah. that the one will latch onto the other, one will calve, and, the, and they just swap because they... And they that's OK. Well, it, it works. Yeah. If, you, if you happen to know that they've swapped, it's as easy to leave them swapped as it is to try and swap them back. I know that. Right. As long as both calves get their colostrum, which is the mother's first milk, yeah. then no, there's no issues with them swapping if they want to. And then later on, there is a certain amount of 
multiple suckling goes on because hungry calves will grab milk where they can get it from. Yeah, sure. And it's so a beautiful forth, thing. Do you ever get... Uh, I, I suppose you're... You, are you sort of conditioned to this now? I mean, you, you've been doing it for so many years. Do you ever... Are you a bit blasé about the the, uh, the whole calving thing? You can't be too blasé about it because then, like all animals, something will come back to bite you. Right. So that it's all very well standing around saying, oh, it's a natural process, you know, I don't need to get up in the morning to go and have a look and I don't need to go out in the cold at night to go yeah. and have a look. You can bet your life that the time that you don't go and have a look, something will go wrong. Right. And, you know, in the wild, things do go wrong and that's perfectly natural. But for us farming we try to minimize things going wrong because that represents profit it's as simple as that yeah sure you know it it is unpleasant it's unpleasant to see the animal distressed or whatever but it is actually perfectly natural but the the will for a farmer to make sure if he can that nothing goes wrong is partly welfare driven and partly business yeah driven but he wouldn't i mean you don't make money out of these animals do you really i mean they're not it's not a, how much so how much is it going to cost you to to get this calf to a point at which you can make a sale it's a very interesting question that because essentially it doesn't cost me a great deal because i grow my own food for the cattle right bar minerals and and one or two concentrates we grow the grass that they'll they'll eat during the summer so by the time i get to sort of six months from now when i sell that calf you could say that it's cost me the rent of an acre of ground for the sake of argument a hundred pounds plus the opportunity cost of some food and straw and some labour. Right. I won't say it's the most profitable thing we ever do, but it fits so well with the rest of the farming. Yeah, it does seem complete, doesn't you it? You know, it, it's, it's, it's not unprofitable. And this year, prices have been very good for our store <coughs> cattle, so that, you know, even if we've suffered weather-wise on the rest of the farm, the cattle have done all right and the calves have been worth good money this autumn, so yeah, that yeah. no, no complaints. It would be nice to think that the, uh, the, the strength of the euro, I mean, whilst it, uh, it obviously makes our, our uh, foreign holidays a little bit more expensive, might, yeah. might, uh, might uh, do good things for, uh, for British beef. Well, it would be a nice thing to think that fluctuation in the exchange rates might actually remind people that it's not a bad idea to buy stuff Absolutely. at home for a start yeah for sure. um you know we all like to go on holidays and we recognize that they're going to cost a bit more but we'll perhaps be looking at going on holiday in cornwall when that sort of flippant trip off becomes too expensive yeah. i don't know and the same thing the other way around that when you're buying your food I suspect you will notice that the imported foodstuffs will become more expensive Absolutely. purely on the basis of the exchange rate. Yeah. Sadly for us, the costs of farming, energy and the like have meant that the price of foodstuffs generally yeah. are having to go up a bit. But as we've said before, it's about the integrity of what you produce and getting that information to the consumer so that he or she can make their choice then. Well, it's a lovely thing to see. Thanks, Phil. Let's go in the warm, shall we? Cup of tea. <laughs> I just had a thought. It wasn't you, Rich, was it? Because your name's Richard Fishbourne, mm-hmm. and the Richard Pike who wanted to get rid of Farmer Phil is Richard Pike, and a <laughs> pike is a fish. There's a, there's a certain closeness there, isn't there? <laughs> and can I have? If I were to dump a load of silage effluent in the water, that would knacker a pike, wouldn't it? I think uh, I think you and your kind have done that repeatedly all over the country for generations, <laughs> well, Rich. 
Moving on. Who would like to let the dog in? Al? Yep. Both of them. Go and lie down. Good girls. Okay, so June Sandington writes to me and says, Now, Heather, the dogs have got the sneezes. No, she wrote, Now, Heather, it's Big Garden Birdwatch 09. It's the 30th anniversary of the RSPB's Garden Birdwatch. So, she said, what are you going to do about it? And so, between us, we've come up with a little taster pack of seeds, which includes... Wiggly seed extra, wiggly huskless niger seed, wiggly seed peanuts, sunflower hearts, a suet holder and a suet feast. But do you know much about the big garden birdwatch team? A bit. What bits do you know? (laughs) But not a lot. (laughs) On the 24th and the 25th of January, for one hour on either of those days, you, you feed your birds and then you sit there and you count them and you've got this check sheet here. Have you got the checklist of garden birds? I've got a sheet here that uh, that gives us an indication of the what is this, the top ten. What have you got then? What's the average garden got? Well, uh, we've got here. Uh, it's listed: house sparrow, starling, blackbird, blue tit, chaffinch, wood pigeon, collard dove, robin, great tit, and goldfinch. And I've read those in order. So the most common uh, average per garden house sparrows. A 3.6. You've got starlings, 3.4, blackbirds 2.5, blue tits 2.3, chaffinch 2.2, woodbridge 1.5, collard dove 1.4, robin 1.3, great tit 1.3, and a goldfinch 1.2. Of course, you would expect to spot just whole birds. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> absolutely. I'm not sure <laughs> what a point two of a goldfinch is. <laughs> Probably just the tail feathers after the cat has uh, eaten the rest. Quite interesting, Rich. I see on the recording sheet that I've got in front of me, I would reckon that we would see all of those on there, bar one. All right. Which you don't see long-tailed tits around here very often, I don't think. Oh, you do? No, yeah, Not we here have a family so of them on the yeah. farm, yeah. But what yeah. interests me is I can think of several things that you do see around here that aren't on the list, so that we get loads of wagtails, yeah. pied mostly, but some grey as well. We get yellow hammers. Woodpeckers. Woodpeckers, yeah. yeah, several, and green and lesser spotted. Greater spotted. Most sociable birds are house sparrows and starlings. Owls? I suppose not in the hour, is that, I suppose that's why that is. Count yourself very lucky if you see a song thrush in your garden. We've got those. They were really common in 1979, but due to farmer Phil, there's been a massive decline that has been seen all across the UK. Yeah, I take exception to that because actually, <laughs> the last couple of years, I reckon we've seen more song thrushes in the garden. I had noticed that there weren't many, but I've seen some this year and last year. Mm. Main thing is plant a hedge, isn't it? Al? Yeah, absolutely. Now, how is hedge harvesting going? Hedge this harvesting. is the time of year where Wiggly Wiggler sends out all those little plants. People dig them in, <laughs> and come a few years later, there they are, gorgeous hedges, native species supporting all sorts of wildlife. Yeah, well, um, hedge harvesting's come to a standstill at the moment because it's minus six out there. Mm-hmm. I think the mealworms are flying out more than the hedge plants at the moment. So Why the is ground that, is huh? absolutely <laughs> rock solid. Why haven't um, we got any hedging plants Because in? you can't um, dig them up, it's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and yet there's my brother off on his land drainage machine because he says it's the perfect weather 
for digging up the ground. Oh, yeah, and mm. Max spreading and all Definitely. that goes on when it's frosty, isn't it, Phil? I think, <laughs> I think, you know, for your song thrush preservation, though, Hev, rather than... I mean, hedge planting is all important. And, you know, you need some sort of cover for all those lovely juicy snails to hide in for the song thrushes to feast on. But the most important thing is for gardeners not to use slug pellets. So for our part, people should buy those wonderful sheep fleece pellets that we supply. What are they called? Slug gone, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool. But nematodes, you know, that's the most important thing is, is not to poison all your, uh, the, the mollusks in your garden. You know, you need some snails to support song thrushes and you need to avoid the use of, of any poisons, really. Do song thrushes like worms, then? They will eat worms, certainly. And they will eat slugs, but they prefer to eat snails. I mean, snails are a song thrush's staple diet. So if you don't have snails because they've feasted on all the metaldehyde or methiocarb inundated slug pellets that you're putting in your garden, then you're not going to get uh, you're not going to get song thrushes either. So if you'd like to join in the Big Garden Birdwatch 09, it's 30 years since it started. I'm not going to ask either of you what you were up to 30 years ago because I'm sure it would be rude. Join in on the 24th and the 25th of January 2009 if you're in the UK and download the RSPB's sheet on what you should be recording in your garden and get yourself equipped because we've put together the taster pack and it's a stunner. You get about 20 quid's worth of birdseed for a tenner. No money to be made there, Farmer Phil, for you. Have I done a deal on better quantities of seed with better deals? I hope so. Uh, not yet. Till next week. If you get a chance to write a review, we've still only got 51 reviews. 51 on reviews? ITunes. That's impressive, isn't it? We haven't had a review since... October 24th. October 24th. Right. So, if you get a chance to put a review up, Please do so. We would be very grateful and we might even read it out. It's bye from me, Heather, on the weekly sofa. And it's bye from me. Bye from me. And bye from me. This is a public service amount. Bugger. So, if you want to get involved in the Big Garden Birdwatch 09, it's been going for 30 years. I wonder what you were doing in 1979, Phil. 1979. Long time ago. Mm. 1979. How old were you in 1979? I was just trying to work it out, Richie. It was a difficult calculation. 16. 16? Oh dear. Golly. Mm. Long hair. Yeah. Bit of a mess. Yeah. Just lost a cherry. Possibly not. Possibly not. I can't believe you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on,